0: ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Impromptu down here at Studio 49, but happy to be here. We are at the Gallagher Business Building, where it is way easier to park at this exact moment. uh, Now that school's not uh, fully in session here at the University of Montana, Justin Angle joining us. This is his shop down here at the business school. This is the Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, I roll in here. I'm in the middle of my move, so I'm looking as scrubbed out as I ever have. Uh, hanging out with my man J A, but I'm also I somehow have lost my water bottle, so now I'm using my giant Sportsbet Montana cup. I was thinking of this as I was carrying this thing in here. I was thinking about um, how, as a big time sports fan, I've been hearing about sports gambling sort of this, as this fringe, mysterious thing that only happens in Las Vegas and like <laughs> no with longer. the mafia, right? Yeah. And you know, you're hearing about point point spreads and point shaving, and you're hearing about all these different things, and you're hearing about. um Does yours just go out in one ear, too? Yeah, that was bizarre. Oh, there we go. Maybe. Yep. Oh, there we go. The cord must have just hit. Uh, Okay. Do you want to just reset? No, no, that's that's good. I I can pick up right where I left off. and most of what you thought and were taught as a sports fan, as a kid, all through the 20th century was pretty much that sports gambling is bad. And that's the way to get banned from right. your sport for life. And yeah. that's pretty much all the knowledge I Pete had of Rose. it. Pete Rose was... And know. now here I am. We're very happy to be partners with Sports Bet Montana. Yeah. This is nothing against uh, them. They are very good people. They're just hardworking Montanans that are just, you know, trying to provide a service. Uh, it has become so unbelievably normalized so fast. Like mm-hmm. I remember when it was about to be, we were thinking, oh man, Skyline Sports, we got to get a some sort of betting writer or some sort of whatever. Now it's just a windfall. It is unbelievable. There's so much content. There's so much normalization to it. So many people are doing it. I I don't know.
2: I was just thinking about this as we rolled in here because we've talked about that a lot on the business angle. It is interesting when you have one of these markets that is prohibited, but for which there is incredible demand demand for the product. That once the regulatory regime changes, there's a flood. Into the marketplace. I mean, I don't want to necessarily draw the analogy between the cannabis market and sports betting. Sure. However, they're similar in the sense that they're both activities that the public really likes to engage in. For sure. And so there's a lot of demand. And, you know, once it was deregulated or, or legalized, so to speak, you know, now you see cannabis shops all over the place. For sure. And the people working there are excited to be there, (laughs) really excited about their business and their product. And I think you see some of the same thing in the sports betting markets. You know, there's, there's a market to be served there. And there'll probably be some sort of a shakeout period, like a lot of new entrants into the market will overcrowd the space. And then the the players that kind of have the legitimate, not the legitimate, but the uh, sound business models and business practices and financial kind of um, uh, good sense. Will, will emerge as the winners and then some will go by the wayside. It's sort of a normal shakeout uh, business cycle.
0: The, the political side of it aside, the cultural normalization side of it aside, this is a purest business question. We don't have to spend any more time than just directly on it. Uh, are you surprised with how many dispensaries there are in Missoula? That, uh, is that sustainable? I've been fascinated by this because it certainly is a, a cash crop. There's certainly money to be made in marijuana, both recreational and medical. But it's also just astounding to me that there's more dispensaries than there is, I mean, there's as many as casinos and bars, if not more, even though it's only been legal for a couple of years.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a view on the overall number and what that number should or will eventually be. I would, my sense is that it's probably a little bit overcrowded at the moment. Sure. And, and, and like I just mentioned, that there'll be some sort of shakeout phase. Right. Um, it also depends on the price of the underlying product as well. Like sure. Cannabis prices in the cannabis market, will there be an oversupply of the raw material? Right. And, and how susceptible is that product to, um, you know, the agricultural cycles and what are the costs of their inputs, whether it's energy, et, et cetera. So there, there, there is some volatility there on the same token, you know, Missoula, Every time a new brewery opens up, I think, how on earth can this community sustain another brewery? And that place is jammed and continues to be jammed. It's so amazing. I think we have a lot of capacity for our uh, for our recreational vices, so to speak. It,
0: it, it is so true. I, I always th- the shelf life of a brewery is so interesting because mazoolians are so great in that they love anything local and anything new so if you have a new local business people will try it for sure sure. Yeah, and it'll take a year or year and a half before everybody gets around to trying it then it's a matter of then maintaining them but you have like a four year window to actually make it happen because you're going to have so much just Auxiliary
2: traffic of just trying it—that's true. People do like the new thing here in town. That's true, and, and which is, which speaks uh, volumes about the spirit of this community. That's one of the reasons I love it. The business angle
0: here on the University of Montana campus coming to you from Studio Forty Nine. One other thing uh, we must acknowledge before we get into a conversation: uh, if you're if you're keeping track, loyal listener, you know we do this every other week. But we were on last week because we had a ton to get to, including the merger between the Live Tour and the PGA Tour. Well, then uh, we talked a little bit about of course conference realignment like we talk about frequently and all the things that go into it especially from a business and monetization standpoint uh san diego state though has made a declaration since the last business angle that they will uh move on and move out of the mountain west they haven't really said where we'll get to that in just a minute though we're sitting here on the university of montana campus and i always feel like it's just important to uh acknowledge history especially when great people that were involved with this university uh pass on jim Brandenburg is a uh sort of the, the the forgotten member of the coaching tree at the University of Montana because he was Judd Heathcote's assistant all through the 70s. Mm. He took over for Heathcote for two years. He coached Michael Ray Richardson when Michael Ray Richardson was a senior. That team won 23 games. Jim Brandenburg gets a new job at Wyoming. He's legendary in Laramie, certainly. That's what he's best remembered for I think so. a lot of people forget, though, that Jim Brandenburg was such a quintessential part of the University of Montana men's basketball lineage. He passed away yesterday mm-hmm. uh, at the age of 87, but certainly a man that I uh, I loved. The, the three times we got to speak, such a font of, of information and history and uh, sort of just a connector to the past. And uh, I saw all sorts of fanfare coming out of Laramie, but I hope people in Missoula realize, too, because Brandenburg was here in Missoula uh, for a full decade. He met his wife here. Um, and then uh, just spent the formative years of his career there in Laramie. But uh, that was the news of the day yesterday. Uh, Jim Brandenburg, uh, a Grizz great, one of the Grizz greats in the coaching tree, uh, dead at the age of eighty-seven.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and, and I never had the, the chance to 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 meet Jim, but the that's one of the wonderful things about sports. No, for sure, are these sort of family trees or, or lineages that that you mentioned a moment ago. It just provides a thread of connection and and that's why you know just my time as a collegiate athlete i hold so dear because sure. you know you were part of something uh like rowing at the university of pennsylvania it goes back to the you know the 1800s For sure. and, and now you're connected
0: to all these people that you may have never even met
2: yeah and i used to train every day in this boathouse where you know there's all these pictures and trophies and plaques on the wall and it was such a an aspiration to say, you know, one day I'll want my kind of name or picture on that wall and just to be just to be a part of that lore. And, you know, it, maybe somebody down the road notices that or, or researches it or whatever. Maybe not. Maybe you're just sort of a, a, a piece of a tapestry that just warms the uh, consciousness of other folks down the line. The connectors is my my favorite part
0: about it. Because, you know, it's it's unfortunate, it's sad that Jim Brandenburg has passed away, but he also lived a wonderful life. And it gives me an excuse to call guys like Mike uh, Montgomery or Stu and All of a sudden, you know, you have a reason to talk to one of the other old ball coaches and maybe even do some radio. So uh, we'll see. But love to get to know all those guys during our Grizz Greats, The Coaching Tree, that podcast uh, you can go check out. We also played an excerpt from that podcast uh, earlier today on Nuonis Now. So you can find that uh, on the Is Now uh, podcast channel. Speaking of, uh, you're also a distance running guy. We just got to touch on this real quick before you get into San Diego State. Weston Brown, a young man we talked about earlier because he broke the all-class record Mm. in Montana in the mile, running 4 minutes, 10 seconds. Well, he went to Nike Nationals this last weekend, ran 8.53 in the two-mile to win the national championship. Second place, his Bozeman High teammate, Nathan Neal, so that's pretty cool. The two best
2: 3,200-meter runners in the country are from Montana. It is pretty amazing. And in some ways, not surprising mean, Montana's it's got right. a, a great... We're in a great spot for, for running.
0: We also are... I think, I think we're going to see the Duncan Hamilton effect as well. Duncan Hamilton just finished at Montana State. Uh, you know, I think a nine-time All-American. I don't think it's a coincidence that there's guys from Bozeman High that are already following in his footsteps like these guys.
2: Yeah, and I think in those sorts of sports where, you know, at a university like Montana State or even the University of Montana, if we could get our act together... You know, you can compete with the best of the best at the national level. For sure, uh, you know part of that part of that's driven by just you know you, you need you certainly need resources yeah. to put together a successful cross country or track team but it's a different type of resources than it takes to drive a, a football team or a basketball team. And it's also tied to an individual level sport for sure, too. So that, that, ha- that presents different dynamics. And I think the state of Montana in particular has the capacity to, to develop um, tremendous talent in distance running. Um, the climate is great for it. The terrain is great for it. We have altitude, but not too much altitude so that it slows down your ability to to train and race at the speed you need to do to develop. Um, so yeah I think I think the there's a lot of potential here.
0: I, I think that new uh, head track coach uh, at the University of Montana understands that as well. Doug Fraley, has put a high priority on recruiting distance runners. Part of that's because the cross-country program became such a mess at the University of Montana, and it was really unfortunate. But he's had a couple really good gets the last couple years since taking over. Most recently, Henry Ballinger from Helena High is one of the best distance runners in the state of Montana. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was in that top three grouping with those other two guys we just talked about, Weston uh, Weston Brown and Nathan Neal. But they also got several guys from Hamilton State Championship cross-country team a couple uh, years ago. And that's the other thing is if you're, you can, you can rebuild the ranks, especially the foundation of your roster in track and field with kids from Montana, with kids from right down the road. Cause there's, you know, that's why we talk about it a lot on here on Nuanna's now. I think the most translatable sport for Montana high school kids right now is track and field. They can, they can go do it at a high division one level across the country. So if you're getting guys that are good in
2: Montana, you can rebuild the ranks pretty quickly. And you don't, I mean, there certainly is a team dynamic that is critical. I mean, you put yourself in a For pool sure. of talented, motivated, For like-minded sure. folks. For sure, it's going to drive your success. I mean, those the
0: the steeplechase guys at Bozeman talk about it yeah. all the time. They went one, two, three, six in the yeah. at the conference meet, and they they said, "This is our team. We had a team strategy. They ran it like a cross country race, so they could all
2: place." And that's critical. But sure. at the same time, it's not essential right as an individual you can if if you strike up a connection with an institution and the coaching staff you can go and do great things yourself and then have a bit of a contagion effect yes. so it, you, it's not like you know being the only talented person on a basketball team you're just going to wallow in despair you can have an incredible career as a standout individual at the college level it's certainly more difficult But it can, I think, propel a level of success, um, probably quicker. You're probably able to turn a program around with with a few key gets on the recruiting side and a few key results that will uh, turn some heads and get some other folks um, that wanna be involved.
0: on is now ESPN Radio. It's the Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Blackfoot Communications helps connect small rural communities across Montana to find out how Blackfoot Communications can help connect you, your neighbors, your rural community, and your small business, visit goblackfoot.com. Uh, all right, now to the meat of it. We buried the sure. lead. The uh, San Diego State has penned a letter, basically, to the Mountain West, expressing its intent to resign from the conference. I've never really actually heard of this. Usually we're, they say, we're leaving, we're going here. They're, they're just saying, we're leaving. We don't know where we're going, but we're absolutely leaving. Part of this is because there's some sort of bylaw, uh, I, I guess it would be in the uh, member conference distribution payment plan, mm. Uh, and by June 30th, they need to leave, which that's next Friday. So 10 days from now,
2: uh, if the yeah, notice, like if they didn't notify, they would have some penalty, it, 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 like 17 million it, it bucks doubles, right? Yeah. So
0: basically they're either going to get paid out 17 million sure. or they're going to have to pay 34 million. So they got to, excuse me, that, that's, that's incorrect. They're going to have to pay though their, their share. So they have it's either 17 million or $34 million right. cost for San Diego state. Either way,
2: uh, Big numbers, but the Aztecs must have something in the mix. Yeah, you'd think they'd have options, the Pac 12 being the most bantered about option, particularly with USC and UCLA leaving. Mm -hmm. That conference needs to fill that void, both in terms of balancing its schedule, but also in terms of its draw. And, you know, San Diego State's an, an interesting program, it's a big school for sure and it it, you know it's not necessarily a flash in the pan with just basketball I mean they've had quite a bit of success in football over the they, years. they've
0: been good for sure
2: yeah and and back was it Marshall Falk that went to for sure. San Diego State and they were a bowl caliber team and they've
0: been bowl caliber team uh, under Rocky Long recently as well they've been pretty good until Rocky Long's retirement and uh, Bobby Houck was in the mix there when Rocky right. Long retired but but San Diego State certainly has I would say an above average football program and one with a Pac-12 moniker that could take a big jump
2: just because of the campus in San Diego
0: and just sort of the amenities outside of just the football program too.
2: Yeah, and if you think of a school like Washington State being able to survive in the Pac-12 and occasionally put up um, a strong football team and their basketball team has made a run on occasion, San Diego State, certainly I would think recruiting is probably gonna be easier to get folks to San Diego than it is to Pullman. No no doubt. Um, And they have the resources, they have access to a larger media market, so while San Diego State was perhaps considered a mid-major when put in the context of its run deep, deep into the NCAA tournament, I, I don't think they're as small a program right. as the as the public sort of conceives it to be. Well, this
0: being the business angle, we talk about business and scaling all the time. Yeah, This is one of the things I, I hear pushback from people always saying, well, if the Grizz or the Cats moved up, they would get killed in this iteration that they would. But you're scaling your business. So, Ken, basically you're saying we're going to have more resources available, better players are going to be available because of our FBS moniker, because we have more scholarships. It's a similar deal here. A, A kid might be getting recruited by Stanford and... Cal and UCLA and San Diego State. And they picked the Pac-12 schools because they're Pac-12 schools. Well, now San Diego State's a Pac-12 school. So you're elevating sort of your status here. San Diego State's going to forfeit this money to leave the Mountain West in exchange for probably 10 times as much money over the next two years. Then you can all of a sudden accelerate all your programs. So it's not just a move up at this iteration, everybody has an opportunity to sort of maximize those extra resources and get better.
2: Yeah, I think that's right. And I think when we think about scaling in the business world, we think about a couple of things. The first being, as you grow, do your costs grow at the same right, rate your right. production grows? If your costs are growing at a lower rate than your production, you're gonna get the benefits of scale, right? Cause you can produce more and more At not necessarily the same escalation rate of cost. So, over time, as you produce more and more, you'll increase your margin, right? So, there are benefits to scale. At the same time, thinking about what is the total addressable market? Like, what is the maximum number of customers that we could address in our business who will find our value proposition compelling? When you're thinking, when you're trying to apply that reasoning to, a college athletic program i think you use some of the the right concepts there it's like how big could our fan base be how right. much reach could we have in a media market and on the the supply side how much of a draw to recruits could we be for sure i think for the montana schools there are some kind of I don't want to say firm, but but pretty firm caps to those concepts. For sure. Right? There's not as much a total, it's it's pretty clear, there's not as much of a total addressable market for the Montana programs as there is a program in Southern California and the San Diego major media market. Right. And access to all those other schools in close proximity. So the the resources to grow and the resources to sort of fuel a growth and exposure that aren't, as related to aren't linearly the related to the costs to doing so. Right. There's a ton of potential there, um, and it's it's a totally different scenario than what we face here in Montana. The
0: the the one tie that binds the one parallel though is the TV money because that's so interesting to me. You're talking about cost benefit analysis, mm-hmm. right? Being on television is probably going to be the same cost in terms of infrastructure at a school, no matter which. Trucks are pulling up, whether it's Root Sports or SWX or ESPN or CBS, right? Uh, But then the earning potential is just exponentially greater the higher the level you go. And I think that's the one parallel between the Montana schools and San Diego State, is that if Montana and Montana State were somehow getting to a a league with a TV deal. Now you're actually making money off TV right now. They're not making hardly any money off TV. San Diego state making the mountain West payout for TV. So that's six to 8 million. But if they get into the PAC 12 network, now you're talking 25 billion. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've grown five times in your actual revenue generation without adding extra costs. That's what you're kind of talking about in
2: terms of the, the benefits. Yeah, exactly. And you might have some comment on this. I mean, you mentioned a moment ago that the, the sort of infrastructure costs to serving the needs of a, of a, TV broadcaster are similar. However, I would assume that when it comes time to um, make decisions about what what games get covered and what games don't get broadcast, mm-hmm. um, you know, journalists and the editor- editors and the program managers and all these decision makers that allocate resources... They have to have some eye to the amenities that are presented to their people when they sure. arrive, and how sure. well their people are accommodated and taken care of, and how just easy it is to produce a piece of content that's compelling. What's the what's the viewer experience? How does that uh, you know? How does that gym or stadium render to a uh, television broadcast? Those things have to matter at the margin, and so you know, while the infrastructural costs might not be the same, getting into those bigger, or, or they might sort of conceptually be the same, as you kind of scale into a bigger market, you're going to have more resources coming back at you to make those sorts of investments. Uh, is totally true. How much, it, it, sort of the, the
0: the the jockeying to get on TV used yeah. to be such a big thing. A- and then when the Big East sort of exploded in basketball and all of a sudden they're on multiple TV networks, that, that was sort of a, uh, landmark moment in television. Hmm. Now they're still jockeying to be on the national games. Like, you know, the sec has this has the, excuse me. CBS has the sec contract, but only two sec games are on actual national right. TV every week, but everybody else is on. What's sort of the give and take there? Because it used to be, if you weren't on national TV, you weren't on TV. Now, if you're not on national TV, well, you can still be on regional TV and then you can still be on the conference channel and then you can still be on your own stream. So, uh, It's sort of just like a new pecking order of of being able to, everybody be able to see it.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is a dynamic that I don't think we fully understand yet, right? Like there's there's, there's the general trend of cord cutting. Yes. Right, and that was sort of accelerated by the pandemic. And as people cut the cord, you know, their consumption of just, regular cable obviously goes down. And so that sort of incidental exposure effect of, hey, this is the game that's on. I guess I'll watch that. Right. That effect will probably you know, will go away to some For sure. degree. It's already gone away. It is. I, I used to be the guy
0: that would just watch the game that was on TV. Cause I just wanted to watch a game. Well, now I can go watch all the teams that I cover. If the Grizz and the cats are not, on, I can go watch Portland state or I can watch a replay of whatever I want.
2: So then you become way more specific about your viewing habits. And the question is how much work is the average consumer willing to do to kind of figure mm. out mm. not only what streaming service or smaller channel or how to access this content that is probably out there. Like if 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 you want it, chances are enough other people want it that it's out there somewhere. It's
0: amazing. It's amazing how much content there is now.
2: And, and it's a question of like, how much effort am I willing to go to? Am, am I sure. going to set up a trial account? Am I going right. to do this seven day free trial? Like I've been, you know, I, I do not have HBO. And then there's all this talk about how awesome Succession is. I'm like, okay, darn. I've never seen it. this yeah, show. Yeah like, oh, seven-day free trial. Maybe I can pack in four seasons of succession oh in seven days. I doubt that's possible. Actually, I don't want it to be possible. <laughs> but th- there's going to be a question like how how much of that will somebody be willing to do right. to get the content they want and how much of a pain in the neck is that going to be? How much additional cost is it going to be? Um, you know, require for the, for the consumer to access that content. And then will the consumer sort of look back at the totality, the effort and the expense on a monthly basis and say, was I maybe better off with that cable yeah. package I had before? The business angle with Justin angle here
0: on Nuance is now coming to you from studio 49 here at the Gallagher business building on the UM campus. Happy Tuesday. Uh, thanks for tuning in <laughs> yet again. We're back to one of our age old questions here on the business angle. So much about analyzing any sort of business or money-based decision, mm-hmm. the the upside but also the fallout. What could be the the bad parts about it? Yet again, here we are where it seems like there's really nothing that could happen to San Diego State that's going to be bad here. They're going to land in a conference where they make more money
2: than when they were in the Mountain West, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. There Is there lot- any way that this couldn't work? Well, I mean, I think it's a question of for how long does it work? Right, okay. Right, if, if they're a one-time flash-in-the-pan basketball program that can't sustain that level of performance and attendance starts to dwindle, rates start, or um, uh, ratings for their uh, television broadcast sure. start to dwindle, then yeah, maybe their shelf life in the Pac-12 isn't as long. At the same time, we don't see much... In, Teams seem to have all the agency in this current moment, right? The teams and the schools are deciding which conference they want to be in, and they're kind of driving the conversation. We don't see conferences deciding like, okay, San Diego State, we don't want you anymore. You're out.
0: I mean, there's only been there's only one SEC football team that hasn't gotten way better because of the rise of the SEC, and that's Vanderbilt. There's no talk of kicking Vanderbilt out of the SEC. They need them because of all their academic prowess compared to the rest of the SEC. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's just
2: a fact. They drive the conference GPA <laughs> that's right, exactly. and graduation rate way up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, for yeah sure. Yeah. So the, yeah, there's there's strengths and weaknesses and the way transfer payments work and all that. But but yeah, I think we're in an era where the power goes. To, we we've seen it aggregate to the athlete in professional sports. Yep. We've seen it aggregate to the conferences, to the individual institutions, uh, to the coaches, and away from the you know, the NCAA, away from the conferences themselves. And you know, I, I think universities and players and all these all these actors will be well served trying to capitalize on the moment they're work they're living through.
0: That's the craziest part about the effect of the TV money is that if you just if you're San Diego State, hypothetically move up, you're in the power five. And you just go defeated for multiple years in a row and, and your attendance starts falling off the map. You're starting to get 65% of the attendance you used to get. That's going to cost you several, if not a handful of millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. You're still, as long as the TV money is revenue shared amongst each conference member equitably, it doesn't matter. San Jose State was getting the same $5 million check as Colorado State or Utah State or you know whoever San Diego State for winning the Mountain West and San Jose State literally did win one game in 2 years. Uh so you, you can you can replace there's there's sort of like a bell curve there right you you lose $5 million in ticket revenue but you're making 15 to $20 million more than you ever were in your previous conference because of TV. As long as there's revenue sharing, I think that it's going to keep even the worst of the worst afloat.
2: Yeah, it it is kind of that managed collusion. However, that uh, assumes that that revenue sharing deal will will persist. I think as you get greater inequities within conferences, I mean conferences could become, or are likely to become, little microcosms of the totality of a sport at the NCAA level. There will be a distribution of abilities winners and losers within a conference and as we've seen with uh, soccer and, and other sports like the super high performers will try to divest themselves of the low performers sure. so there is some systemic risk here uh, For of sure. this imbalance revenue sharing tends to address that but if you're the program that continues to generate the lion's share of the revenue and see that get distributed equally across a variety of schools that aren't pulling their weight performance-wise, those schools now have the power to either exit the conference, which would drive down the total amount yep, of revenue yep. that gets shared. So yeah, I mean, there is a stability in one sense, but at the same time, if if everything rolls up into dollars, as we've talked about before in this segment, yep. If that's the single factor driving these arrangements, then I think there's inherently way more volatility, no no matter if that revenue is shared or not, or how it's shared. There's just, when there's a single variable linking institutions together, and that variable is money, it's just an inherently riskier situation.
0: You nailed it, great point. Uh, I I think that the immediate future is sort of the re uh, reorganization of all of these powerhouse schools. And then there's going to be, I think, between three and four power leagues with three to four power TV deals. And then those deals will play out for about 10 years. And then there'll be sort of a uh, another collision where they're saying, okay, we picked these 60 teams, but there's these 10 over here that aren't a part of this yeah. that are making way more money. Let's get these guys in. Let's get these guys out. It's going to be like European soccer. There's going to be like a relegation league. You play your way back in, play your way out. But I do agree, the
2: primary factor is not going to be athletic success wins. It's going to be bottom line. Like, Is there a point at which Alabama, or I guess uh, Georgia, decides like we're better off existing as a Notre Dame than we are as a member of the SEC. Absolutely. The number one school that will lead
0: that charge is Texas because Texas has their own TV network. Right, right. Texas doesn't even need to be a part of the Big 12 network. They're making $50 million by themselves Mm -hmm. because people in Texas are so nuts for the Longhorns. They'll stream women's volleyball. They'll stream whatever sport there is.
2: They'll watch it on the Longhorn Network. Yeah and that might be a case study is that yeah, you know sure. how much do they need the conference and, and and if they don't need it they might go the way of yeah. the independent I,
0: there there is one dynamic there though that's uh Texas has been doing this long enough that if other schools could do it, they would do it. And oh, they totally. they haven't because Texas really is that that unique. I think I do think they're the only school in the country that could actually do that.
2: Yeah, well, Notre Dame could probably Notre do Dame it. And, Notre Dame
0: could Notre Dame for sure
2: could. And there's, you know, will there be a collection of 10, 5, 10 of these sorts of schools that just divest themselves completely of the current infrastructure? Yeah. And decide, you know, we don't care if we win your national championship or not. We're going to kind of make up our own thing and just do that thing. And it's power play. But at the end of the day, if money is the only thing driving all of this stuff, I think that's a more likely reality. Welcome to America, baby, where money
0: is the only thing driving anything these days. It's funny to think, though, Notre Dame was actually like the original team with their own TV network because they had the exclusive agreement with NBC when no one else had exclusive agreements with anybody. That's why Notre Dame's brand is so huge. They basically had the Notre Dame broadcasting channel for like 50 years before anybody else did. is now ESPN Radio, uh, SWX Podcast Television, and the ESPN MT app. The Business Angle with Justin Angle. Thanks for being here, man.
2: Good one. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, back on that uh, fine station as well. And uh, the ESPN MT app. I'm Coulter Nuwanis. Thanks so much for hanging out with us uh, here on your Tuesday afternoon. Time now for our Bitterroot Breakdown presented by Farmer's State Bank where we take a peek down at the Bitterroot Valley. A banner year in multiple different communities down there in the Bitterroot this last fall And, and, and not even only just this last fall. A lot of state championships there in the Bitterroot whether it was Corvallis and girls and boys track, Hamilton and football, Florence and football, great success down there uh, in the Bitterroot Valley, but particularly in football. The Florence Falcons have been one of the stories of the last couple of years going back to back state titles at the class B level. It's been uh, amazing to watch the program rise. Florence was so poor for so long and uh, Patrick Shane seniors really got it rolling. And then once his son, Patrick Shane Jr., came of age. Now, all of a sudden, you got a D1 quarterback playing Class B, surrounded by a bunch of other great athletes. I mean, they've had three D1 kids come out of Florence in the last uh, couple years. When, when you count Ethan Abbott, who was a redshirt freshman at Montana State last year, Patrick Shane, uh, who's headed to MSU now this upcoming year, and Jonathan Lumen, who also is headed to the Bobcats, a uh, big offensive lineman. That's pretty impressive for a single Class B program. Now, I. You you do wonder how long that's gonna last because if you're if you're in or and around western Montana, you know Missoula is at capacity. I mean, there's a lot of people living in Missoula right now. There's just not a lot of room to build out. You can only really build up. So the population is gonna have to sort of spread. There's not a lot of room to grow north of town, so heavily wooded over there. You can certainly grow west towards the Frenchtown and Alberton area. You can grow east to a certain extent, uh, but then you get kind of into the Bear Mouth there and and Rock Creek, so not a lot of room to to, um, build outside of, you know, Clinton-Tura area. So, so much of the movement's going south, and Florence is a community that's really blown up because it's, you know, 15, 20-minute drive from Missoula, so a lot of people are choosing to live in Florence, and then subsequently you got a lot of kids going to school there. Florence is going to be a rapidly growing high school. I won't be surprised when they're Class A sooner than later. Uh, so, something to keep your eye on. But they've been able to capitalize on it in sports success. Hamilton, very similar. Hamilton's always had great sports tradition. They've revived the football tradition, certainly under Bryce Carver. Uh, and then this last year, they punched down the door and uh, broke on through. And uh, after so much playoff success, they got a Class A state championship. So, really impressive there as well. So, in terms of our Bitterroot Breakdown today, there was a couple of young men. They play in the in There was actually a variety of young men from the Bitterroot Valley in the East-West Shrine game, but a couple of them that really stood out. Pat Duchesne, who was headed to MSU, he threw a couple touchdowns in this game, and then Eli Taylor from Hamilton, Montana, he was a guy who caught one of the touchdowns. We'll start with the former Florence Falcons quarterback. Pat Duchesne's joined us on this show several times, but uh, never actually met him in person until this one. Uh, here he is, one of the top quarterback prospects in the state of Montana from Florence. First of all, just take me through what it's like trying to prepare for one of these things. Obviously, you got to simplify so much stuff with yeah. all these guys coming from all these different schools. What was that like this week?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was short. I mean, we only had a week to like actually like find a groove and like yeah. get plays in with everyone. But, uh, I mean, I feel like our team had a lot of great athletes on it, and we all understand the game very well. And so I felt like we all, like after like the first couple days, we all started to find our groove and started to find how to pose each other. So it was pretty good, yeah. Oh, man, I think the
0: East, they kind of knew that they were underdogs coming in and that they played so hard in the first half. So what's going through your mind when it's like 8-7 to seven and they're yeah. battling with you guys?
1: Yeah, that first half, um, it was rough, at least for me. I think I had a very rough first half. Uh, was it hard because it was wet too? I mean, the ball it seemed like the ball was slipping a little a bit. A little bit, but that's no excuse. I mean, it was just... I mean, it is kind of hard to find a groove when you're, me and Jared are alternating series. Right. It, it's, it makes it a little difficult. But, I mean, other than that, I mean, and that when we... I mean it was tough, like seeing the score eight to seven, but we were still confident coming into the second half and then we played a great second half and were able to come out with the victory. Well it seemed like in the second
0: half too you started leaning on them a little bit too. I mean how much was that just a product you guys' offensive line? I mean you guys got some of the best guys in the whole oh, state yeah. on that offensive front.
1: Yeah, offensive front, they're they're crazy. They're big dudes. It was nice to play behind them. Uh yeah, and in that second half, I mean we started to open up the floodgates. Uh me and Jarrett finally found our groove and we we just kept going. And even when the East
0: would bring pressure, I mean must be pretty nice to have a couple running backs like oh. that where you can just dump it down to them
1: right yeah those are my cat brothers uh it's nice to play with those guys in the back it was fun
0: and there was so many future bobcats out here so i mean do you think this is sort of a preview for the future
1: yeah i think so and i honestly i mean some of us didn't even play up to like our full potential like i know some of us are banged up from practice so it's gonna be exciting how good we can be come uh when we're playing for the cats and all that
0: uh, and last thing just uh Doing it for a cause bigger than yourself. What would you think of that element? What did you think of just doing yeah. it for the Shriners? No,
1: yeah, it, it was all for the kids. Like, that was amazing, especially with Gavin. Uh, he was such a cool kid. He's fun to hang around, and, I mean, it's just awesome to, like, play a game that's for the kids. Yeah.
0: For a great cause, almost $70,000 raised at the East-West Shrine game over the weekend in Butte. So our bit of a breakdown here on Nuana is now probably presented by Farmer State Bank. Farmer State Bank has been enriching the lives of Montanans since 1907, one of the best touchdown catches of the day, one of the plays of the evening in the East-West Shrine game, came when Duchesne hit Eli Taylor of Hamilton for a touchdown. Cam, uh, Andrew, our producer, caught up with uh, Taylor right after the Shrine game.
3: Here with Eli Taylor of Hamilton High School after the West gets a 45-13 victory in the East-West Shrine game. Big touchdown catch for Eli in the third quarter. Eli, just take me through that play that you caught the touchdown on.
4: It was kind of like a mesh up between me and my tight end, and I heard it was a broken down play with my quarterback, and I was just lucky enough to have such a talented quarterback to make the play, and he found me in the back of the end zone.
3: Talk to me just about the experience of, of playing in this game, and not only that, but, but winning so convincingly.
4: It's definitely something special. It's not like every high school football game. It's one week, you get a bond with a bunch of guys you don't really know, and you, it's a time. You're you going to have the like a, a, a time of your life. much. And that touchdown experience, it was definitely one of my most memorable touchdowns I'll have just, all throughout my high
3: school. Have you processed the emotions yet of, uh, you know, this is the last game in your high school career? Here. I haven't yet, but I'm glad this was the way to go out with the West
4: beating the East. But, uh, I mean, what's been like, your favorite part about this experience? Like When you think back on just what this week has meant to you? I would say definitely bonding with a bunch of guys I don't really know, but I've played against. And just getting to know them and becoming one family. And to take home the trophy of West is the best. It was something special.
3: You've got such a memorable high school career, like you know state title and so many touchdown catches and playoff runs. Like how special is it to just be able to end it this way with a win and a touchdown catch in this game?
4: It's definitely special. I didn't end my high school career at Hamilton with a win, but to be able to finish out with a win is something special, especially for such a history game like this when it's the biggest Shrine Game in all of the USA. It's, it's definitely special, especially
3: to catch that touchdown. Eli Taylor, Hamilton, wide receiver with a big touchdown catch in the third quarter of their shrine game. Eli, do you know what the next steps are for you? Do you know where you're going next year?
4: Uh I haven't really decided where I'm going yet next year. I'm gonna play basketball, track, or football. I'm excited.
0: Eli Taylor from Hamilton High School. I misspoke there. Hamilton, the state champions two falls ago, 2021. Last year, of course, the state champions from uh Fergus High School there in Lewistown, Montana. But either way, the uh, the Bronx have been perennial power. I mean, basically in the final four, I think six years in a row at the Class A level. Played for uh, at least two, maybe three state championships, and then they won the state championship in 2021. And uh, Eli Taylor, certainly a a, a part of that. It's our Bitterroot Breakdown presented by Farmer State Bank. Farmer State Bank, enriching the lives of Montanans since 1907. I have some random musings for Andrew. We'll get to as many as we can on the other side. Keep it right here, ESPN Radio. Jewelry Design Center now open in Missoula at 2501 Brook Street, across from the Montana Club. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. One, two, three. Nuwana is now on ESPN Radio. Oh, baby, little Johnny Lang for you here on your Tuesday. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, Mister. Thing. Today's Nuwana is now. You can always find it on the Nuwana is Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications. The M Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the MSU Bookstore your best place to get blue and gold on game day or any other day, anytime you're on the Montana State campus. Uh, got a couple questions for you, Andrew. Andrew Houghton, producer, chilling on the other side of the glass. See how many we can get to today. Uh, first of all. Give me the deets on Lionel Messi to the uh, Major League Soccer, because this is something that's been a huge international story. Of course, it's been overshadowed in America. Messi was getting offers of anywhere between like $400 and $600 million to play for some Saudi Arabian-affiliated or at least funded team. I don't really know the specific details there. But instead, he chooses the Miami club uh, of the MLS. Weave this together for us. How did this happen? What does this mean for the MLS? What does it mean for Messi?
3: Uh, This is something that has been rumored to be in the works for a long time. For sure. Uh, As you may or may not know, David Beckham is like one of the principal owners of the Miami team in MLS. And
0: he's the one that sort of created this, right? Like you are the premier, uh, one of the premier EPL players in the world. And then when you're getting towards the end of your career, you come to America because you get a little bit of a dip in competition, but also then the new
3: American market. I mean, do I have this sort of straight? That is correct, and in fact, uh, it's good that you mention it because one of the incentives that MLS gave David Beckham when he came over to the LA Galaxy in the mid 2000s was you will get to buy into an MLS expansion franchise at a very reduced cost. And that's that happened. is Inter Miami.
0: There you go. Okay.
3: Uh yeah, it's it's something that's been going around for a while. Certainly, MLS has a lot to offer Lionel Messi—not five hundred million dollars a year, right? Uh, but you know, there there are rumblings that he's getting a part of uh, the new Apple TV contract that the MLS says there's rumor that that Adidas is paying him some money that's of course the official uniform supplier of MLS. So he also
0: get some stock money, right? Wasn't he get some Apple stock maybe too?
3: Potentially, I mean there are all kinds of things that you can do with a deal like this. Um, and also you know Miami, one of the one of the biggest Latin speaking country or cities in the United States, certainly in the sure, world yeah. outside of Latin America. A lot there to, to tempt a guy like Lionel Messi. Huge deal. We've seen uh, ticket prices just skyrocket uh, through the roof for all of Inter Miami's games, especially the ones on the road. Uh, their Instagram followers jumped by like a hundredfold. Uh, it it's really really interesting, and he's been the one guy. So far, to really say no to the Saudi Arabian money, amazing. But it'll be incredible to watch him in in MLS. I mean, I, it. it I, I'm I'm compelled by this element, though. Will, what sort of
0: fervor will surround this? Like you harken back to a generation ago when Diego Maradona first went from Argentina to go play professionally in Italy, and it was like the Beatles were going to Rome, right? Like it was an unbelievable amount of hysteria surrounding this. If Kobe Bryant went to play overseas or in China during his peak, it would be pandemonium. I know Miami, as you mentioned, a lot of Latin American uh, Hispanic influence there in Miami, certainly. What will the reception be like? I can't imagine the reception of Lionel Messi coming to America will be hardly even a blip on the radar in America, but but there in
3: Miami, what will it be like? See, I would disagree. I think it's going to be uh, something on the level that w- we haven't seen in a long time. Uh, really? Not will will it ever lead SportsCenter over any of the other main pro sports in America? Lionel Messi's MLS debut will lead SportsCenter wow, the night great. that it happens. See, that's sweet. And I think that just in terms of, you know, filling stadiums, et cetera, too, you know, there are a lot of people who are planning trips now, buying sure, tickets. Right. I mean, I, you can't get into an Inter-Miami game for less than $400 right, right now right, right. for the rest of the summer. So
0: he's certainly going to be a huge draw. I mean, I mean, make no mistake, he's not only one of the great football players in the world right now, he's one of the great men's soccer players ever, right? I mean, he's, he's inarguably at all-time
3: great, right? I think the World Cup win sort of cements him as the yeah. the real greatest of all time for most people who think wow. seriously about this. Amazing. Uh, certainly, you could still argue about that. We might have to do that another day, Coulter. One minute. Sure. No, no doubt about it. Uh,
0: Nuwan is now ESPN Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in here. I also got plenty to say about Chris Paul to the Wizards, and more importantly, Bradley Beal to the Suns. We'll probably save that for tomorrow. Uh, I give you a teaser. Like I always say, the NBA is not a game of NBA Live. I think it's a bad move uh, on the Phoenix Suns' part. I do not think it makes them more of a championship contender. Andrew, who hails from D.C., he doesn't like the Wizards going after old CP3. So we'll discuss that tomorrow. We also have Michael Ogine, an all-time grizz great, joining us to promote his upcoming summer camp and catch up with what's been going on with him. We'll see you tomorrow 4 p.m. This has been Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio.